0: Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity too. So, Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC travel grant fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to WPC2022.org slash YOPD fund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on ya. Email me at Parkinsonspot at CuriousCast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hey, it's Larry Gifford and Nikki Reitmeyer. This is Parkinson's Awareness Month. Thanks for listening and subscribing to When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Today, we want to share another podcast with you, the super awesome science show. It's hosted by Jason, the germ guy, Tetro. Jason's using his podcast to raise awareness of Parkinson's disease. Take a listen as I wax poetically about the awesomeness of dopamine. He also chats with Rachel Dolhan from the Michael J. Fox Foundation to learn more about where science and research is headed. Thanks for listening to When Life Gives You Parkinson's and keep an ear out for more Parkinson's Awareness Month treats. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening.
1: We'll talk to you next time. Today, we're doing things a little bit different. We've received wonderful feedback from you, including several requests and show ideas. And one of the most popular is for us to cover something that admittedly is not So awesome. Illness and disease. In that light, we're going to change things up a bit. And we're going to look at an illness that affects 10 million people worldwide and over 100,000 Canadians. And the numbers are on the rise. This week, we're going to learn about Parkinson's disease. We're going to speak with a friend of the show who has been living with this condition. And in our SAS class, We're gonna find out how you can become involved to help find answers to this illness. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro and I'm gonna take you on a journey that may break your heart, but will also inspire you to realize the awesomeness of science. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. It's one of the most common signs of stress. Or excitement. We may experience it when we're trying to do a precise task. We may even feel it when we are overwhelmed by love. It's the tremor. Tremors happen as a result of a change in the way the brain sends signals to the muscles. Normally they're focused so that our bodies do what our brain tells us. But when the brain is overwhelmed by fatigue anxiety, emotion, or drugs, the signals tend to ramp up towards the muscles and we start to shake. These are known as physiologic tremors and they can be controlled once the body has a handle on the emotional highs and lows. But what happens when your moments of rest are filled with movement? What happens when you couple those tremors with a feeling like half of your body is moving slower? When you clump your foot and walk, people are noticing something different about you. Tremors are just one of the many symptoms of Parkinsonism, named so as a tribute to the doctor who first identified them back in the 19th century, James Parkinson. Today, it's better known. As Parkinson's disease. As I said at the top, over 100,000 Canadians are dealing with this degenerative brain disease, and one of them happens to be a friend of the show. His name is Larry Gifford, and he is the program director for CKNW in Vancouver. He's also a member of the Curious Cast family as the host of the podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. It's been named among the best of 2018, by Apple Podcasts. On his show, you can hear all about his journey through this illness. But today, I want to get an insight on how science and medicine directly affect and matter to someone going through Parkinson's. You've been open about sharing your journey with Parkinson's disease. What was the spark that led you to create this show?
0: Well, I was looking for a podcast that uh, could help me through my journey. Uh, you know, I've been in radio for over 25 years, and so I'm an audio guy, and so as I was searching through podcasts, I, I, I came across a couple. Like, the Michael J. Fox Foundation has a, has a terrific podcast, so it's very clinical, but It's all, like, confine. So I I listened to it, and Dr. Ray Dorsey from the University of Rochester was on there talking about how Parkinson's has become uh, a pandemic. You know, in 1990, there was 2.6 million people with Parkinson's in the world. By 2014, it was over 6 million, and they're projecting it's going to be over 17 million by 2040. Uh, And he's like, the only way we're going to you know, keep this from continuing to progress that the rate it's at that is if people with Parkinson's start telling their stories to raise awareness so we can raise more money, so we can do more research, so we can find a cure. And I thought about that. And I said, well, I'm a storyteller. It's I've got platforms. I've got TV stations, radio stations. So I've done podcasts. I, I know how to do this. If If anybody's going to
1: do this, it probably should be me. With that in consideration your life has definitely changed as you've been going along this route. How has it been sharing this, not just on the podcast, but also with the people around you?
0: Well, it's always scary to be vulnerable. Uh, And uh, the anticipation of the reaction is always worse than the reaction. So, uh, you know, I, you fear you fear like uh, your your work is going to go. Oh, you have Parkinson's. So you, maybe you're not good enough for this anymore. You're afraid your friends are going to peel away because it's too much, and they just want you to be easygoing Larry again, uh, and not Parkinson's Larry. Uh, but the, the opposite was true. The 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 amount of support and love and uh, energy and um, you know just. The, the, the feedback, the, the warmth, uh, the, the energetic hug I'm getting from the world is just amazing. I mean, I'm still a dad. I'm still a husband. I still work full-time. Uh, but I do, I mean, it has slowed me down a lot, in Parkinson's. I mean, um, it's forced me to um, choose my spots, uh, save her life. I, I exercise now. I never did before. Uh, I'm more regimented because I have to be with uh, my medications. You have to take them at the same time every day for them to be effective. Uh, and if i if I'm late, I feel it, I know it, I can sense it, my body changes. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, life changes. I mean everybody's life changes. Everybody, you know each second we're evolving and changing. but yeah, it's been kind of a rapid uh, rapid change in my life and where two years ago I didn't know anything about Parkinson's. Now I'm an advocate. I've got a podcast. I'm on the board of the Pacific Parkinson's Research Institute. I'm on Michael J. Fox's Foundation Patient Council. I'm speaking at the Parkinson's Society of British Columbia's annual general meeting. Like, life has suddenly taken a left turn.
1: It almost sounds like you've become a part of a different society now that you have Parkinson's disease.
0: An amazingly positive society at that. And it's a world that I didn't know existed. i like, these are people and friends now that I have that I would have never have met had I not been diagnosed with Parkinson's.
1: Do you feel that having a celebrity like Michael J. Fox as the face of this disease is really helping to increase people's acceptance of the disease and maybe the communities for staying positive?
0: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it always helps when a. You know, it's when a celebrity gets hit with Parkinson's because it makes news and it raises awareness of it. It's so like Alan Alda and, you know, uh, Neil Diamond and Linda Ronstadt and, um, you know, th- there are others. And, you know, and all these people play an important role in the advocacy uh, because, you know, it's, Parkinson's isn't a deadly disease. It doesn't kill you. You live with it. You die with it. Uh, and so the urgency to cure it, to, to find new ways to live well with it, to find new medications isn't isn't there because uh, the monies that people are raising are going towards cancers, which will kill you, or or other diseases. Del- uh, del- Debilitating diseases like ALS, uh, you know, for a good reason. Those, those organizations get a lot of attention, a lot of money. Parkinson's doesn't. We're still using the same drug that was designed in the 1950s, and that's the gold standard. And so, we need to do more research. Uh, and so, yes, having Michael J. Fox's foundation at the at the head of that charge, I think, is a, a tremendously important thing. It does give people a lot of hope and positivity.
1: You say that we only have that one particular drug that's useful for treatment, uh, L-DOPA, but we know that there is quite a bit of other research that's going on. Uh, We're looking at genetics, we're looking at microbes, there's clinical trials. You're in Vancouver, there's University of British Columbia working on Parkinson's disease. I'm sure that you have contact with a number of these researchers. What have you learned about Parkinson's and where it's going as a result of the research? And is there any research that's really exciting you at this point?
0: There's a ton of research going on, which is great. Uh, most of it is for, you know, trying to uh, live well or to uh, you know, halt the progression uh, as opposed to cure. And I think cure, that's a big Task. Um, uh, I had my genome mapped uh, as part of a genetic study for Parkinson's, and 27% of uh, Parkinson's cases uh, can be attributed to some sort of genetic connection, whether it's a, a mutation over the course of time. Uh, less than 10% are passed along genealogically, uh, but the uh, you know there there can be abnormalities uh, in your genes that contribute to uh, a Parkinson's diagnosis. Uh, so it's that's. That's one way they're they're looking to attack it. Uh, I know that uh, there's research looking into gut health and the connection between the gut and the brain, uh, and how you can. Uh, you know, some of the proteins that are in your gut end up in your brain, and and, and that can can really negatively impact a a person and and cause Parkinson's, they believe. Uh, There's, you know, they're looking at the benefits of exercise. I mean, you know, that's actually, you know, it's what everybody shouts from the rooftop now, exercise, exercise, exercise. But that research started about five years ago uh, and has really caught fire uh, and is really important. It's the only thing that they can prescribe today, that will halt the progression of Parkinson's, is exercise. So yeah, there's some really exciting things going on. Just a couple weeks ago they announced that they have a new puffer version of L-DOPA. So they're finding new ways to distribute it that's more effective, uh, that takes on quicker, because the problem with L-DOPA is it fades away, and you can feel the effects waning as a as a patient, uh, and then it takes a while for the next dose to kick in. So you have these on and off periods. So we're trying to figure out ways to bridge
1: those gaps. A few weeks ago on this show, we were talking about science translation. How do we take research and turn it into something that can be recommendations or some other type of course of action for the public? Now I admit, we only got so far. Because it's very difficult to find someone who's an end user. I think at this moment, especially when we're talking about something like Parkinson's, which is, as you say, that pandemic, the idea of the end user is becoming more and more important. How do you feel, though, as an end user of research and how this might be able to help you moving forward?
0: I I have a hard time seeing a cure in my lifetime for me. Uh, But I do think uh, they will find a biomarker, whether it's a brain scan, like a blood test, something that at at some point that people will be able to take early in their life for us to go, you've got it. Now let's prevent uh, prevent the progression of it. Let's not let it take hold of you. Uh, And I think so. it won't be a full cure, but I think that's the next step. And that, that does excite me. And I know there's a lot of work being done on that.
1: Parkinson's disease has always been known to be an affliction of the nervous system. In 1817, when James Parkinson wrote his first observations of the illness in his Essays on Shaking Palsy, he believed the source was the spinal cord and the medulla oblongata, which connects the brain to the rest of the body. Over the last two centuries, research has moved up the brain a little, to a small section known as the substantia nigra. It's an area that is incredibly important as it makes a hormone called dopamine. It's produced when we want something done. This involves everything from craving love and sweets to wanting to find some excitement in our lives. Dopamine is also involved in controlled movement of muscles and fine motor skills, although in a very different way. It helps us to keep our movements stable. Without it, our muscles may not know how to respond. When a person suffers from Parkinson's disease, there is a loss of the cells that produce dopamine in the substantia nigra. The dopamine levels drop and the muscles are left without a link to control the signals coming from the brain. This results in tremors as well as three other symptoms known as rigidity, akinesia, which means slow movement, and postural instability. Like Admiral Akbar said in the Battle of Endor, when it comes to Parkinson's disease, it's a trap. Because Parkinson's is a combination of symptoms, it still has no cure. However, since we know of the issues with dopamine production, there have been attempts to focus on managing the loss of dopamine to help treat those living with the illness. As for the fact that Parkinson's disease is based on the loss of a single chemical in our bodies, you might believe those who suffer would be disheartened. After all, we are made up of thousands of different types of molecules, and yet one happens to be the basis for this illness. As I continue my conversation with Larry Gifford, I realize he has a very different perspective. When you realize it's coming down to one particular chemical, how does that make you feel?
0: I'm in awe of the human body. That there's this one thing in my body that if I don't have enough of it, if I don't produce enough of it, it changes the way I write. It changes the way I talk. It changes the way I move. It changes how I feel about myself and my body. It forces my body to move uh, on its own without. You know, listening to my control, uh, it uh, it causes depression, anxiety. Uh, it makes me have a hard time swallowing and chewing. I can't sleep at night. I've got bladder issues. I've got constipation. Uh, I mean, the list goes up. Blood pressure. I can't smell very well. I'm I'm in pain most of the time. Like that's from just this one chemical in our body. How amazing is that?
1: That's a bit of a positive attitude considering. Is that something that you learn over time? Or do you really have to do nothing more than just be amazed at what is going on and realize that the process that you're going through, while it is having a negative effect on your life, is still part of something that is amazing, which is just simply the 37 trillion cells that we are that make us human?
0: In essence, it's a miracle that i that I got this. And it's opening doors for me. Strangely enough, as I host this podcast, you know I'm getting opportunities to meet people and speak at places and sit on boards. and that would have never have happened. Um, I feel like i I have a purpose more so than I did before. You know I thought my purpose was to produce great radio for you know you know my whole life. And now I realize, it, there's something deeper and, and more, more of an impact that I can have uh, on society. Um, and so, it takes a while to get there, though. But the first eight months after my diagnosis, I was looking down a wine bottle or a whiskey bottle and just trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do now? I mean, it, it's hard, um, and it takes counseling, and it takes a, you have to build a team. It's not just you know, not just psychological help, but it's, you you can, I needed a physical therapist. I needed a a movement disorder specialist. I needed my family around me. I needed, you know, there's five or six or seven different people that I count on, on a weekly basis to help me get through my life. And I had to be okay with asking for that help and receiving that help. And as soon as I was able to get there and, you know, it ebbs and flows, um, you know, you you begin to see the positives and, and not feel guilty about saying, hey, I've got Parkinson's, but, you know, this is a pretty cool thing
1: I get to do. You now are a public figure that is talking about Parkinson's on a platform, your podcast. We hear about celebrities who are talking about chronic diseases in the same way. Is this podcast attempting to try and fill a void for the larger community, Or is this really more about trying to get the larger community to accept Parkinson's as you develop this podcast?
0: I think my aim is to make it accessible to the public at large, because most people know somebody uh, in their circle who's touched by Parkinson's and most people couldn't tell you what it is. And so Making it uh, accessible, digestible, interesting, personal, relevant, uh, I think is is an important job of not just me, but of all of us in the Parkinson's community because like you say Parkinson's, and most people think of a tremor. Well, there's people that have Parkinson's that don't have a tremor. I mean, and that the biggest problem right now for our community is that there are forty some odd symptoms to Parkinson's, and most people know one or two. And most of our symptoms are invisible. And we suffer in silence because, and people look at us weird and they think we're drunk when we're walking down the street and they don't know why. And and people make these assumptions about what's going on in somebody's life. But I think we just need to, if more people were aware of Parkinson's and what it was and how it affected people, more people would be willing to admit they have it because a lot of people hide it. Uh, and we could put it all on the table and then we could support each other. And, you know, I know that's a little bit, uh, you know, rosy colored glasses, but uh, I'd like to, to get to a point where, you know, I don't, I don't have to uh, bring my walking poles onto the bus in order to get a seat because, you know, or I'd get stairs because I'm sitting in a seat when somebody else should have it. I, I can't balance on a bus. So I have to have my walking poles with me all the time. And if I have them with me, nobody says anything. But if I don't, they just assume I'm just some thug who's in his 40s who's you know being stubborn and won't move for somebody else.
1: It's SAS Class time, and today we're going to learn a little bit more about the public face of Parkinson's. Our guest teacher is Rachel Dalhoun. She is a movement disorder specialist and the vice president of medical communications for the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. She has been working hard to help increase our awareness of the illness and strives to help researchers find ways to improve the quality of life for those who suffer. Tell us a little bit about the Michael J. Fox Foundation.
2: The Michael J. Fox Foundation is the largest nonprofit funder of Parkinson's research. Since we opened in 2000, we funded more than $800 million in research. And our research strategy centers around our goals of better defining, measuring, and treating Parkinson's disease. So what that really means is that while we work toward a cure for Parkinson's, we're also working toward better medications and therapies to treat the symptoms of Parkinson's disease and also better ways to define and measure and test and track Parkinson's disease so that people can live better with Parkinson's today while we work toward that cure in the future.
1: What has your experience over the years told you about the importance of Parkinson's research?
2: There is a quote I like to use from Michael J. Fox when I answer this question, which is that the latest research is the latest hope. So I found that people who learn about or get involved in research seem to live a little bit better with their disease. And there are many ways to get involved in research. So you don't have to necessarily be testing the latest investigational drug, but you can get involved in an observational study where researchers follow you to see how your disease unfolds over time, or you give samples or get brain scans, or you take questionnaires over time, or you advocate for Parkinson's policies, or you even fundraise and run a race or do a pancake or bake sale. So again, there are many ways to get involved and get engaged, but if you engage in the research, engage in the community, and be active in your disease, it seems that you do a little bit better overall.
1: You have gained some significant exposure since joining the foundation. What do you feel is the most important role you play when it comes to Parkinson's disease?
2: It really comes down to helping people with Parkinson's and their families understand their symptoms and their disease and how what they're experiencing connects to research so that they can find the best path forward in both their care and research, no matter where they are with their Parkinson's. So, as a Parkinson's doctor who stays on top of research, I put science and research and drug development in context. I help people make sense of these sometimes very abstract and scientific concepts and make them digestible and practical for their daily lives.
1: I think that's really important because even with a priority disease like Parkinson's, we still hear of alarming headlines. You probably know about that recent study suggesting a concussion could double your risk for Parkinson's. How do you stay on top of all that information flowing from the literature as well as the public realm And make sure that what people who uh, hear about it realize this is information that you can use as opposed to maybe something you might want to just put off to the side.
2: It can be really tough for both people with Parkinson's and for Parkinson's doctors. So for people with Parkinson's, the amount of information and misinformation out there can be overwhelming. It can be hard to sort through what's fact, what's fiction, what's hype when you're looking for hope. Um, And even for information that's hard evidence, it can be hard to interpret the science. And as I said, the same goes for doctors and researchers. We have to sort through this vast amount of data on a daily basis to stay up to date and to know what's fact and what's fiction. Um, So in my spare time, I try to keep up with certain journals like neurology and movement disorders. Um, But, you know, right now I have a growing stack of these journals on my desk and in my inbox. Um, I also scan daily internet alerts so I can see what's in the media, what the patient community is reading about and talking about. I also am grateful to have our patient community with the Michael J Fox Foundation who's really active on social media channels and they tell me what they're talking about, what they're hearing about and what they want answers around so I can then be able to sort through that information and help put this in context for them and give them answers about what's happening and what they should be looking at
1: personally the difference between being a doctor and researcher and a communicator is is a huge one And I'm sure that it's not just a change of career, it's also a change of vocation. What has that transition been like for you?
2: evolution, I think. And it's interesting because you have to have a mindset where you're putting all three together. You're never just a doctor or just a researcher or just a communicator. You're all three at once. And so you're constantly figuring out how to put things all together all at once. And you're thinking on your feet and always thinking about how to communicate the right thing to the right person at the right time.
1: You talked about earlier the value of getting involved in research. If people who have Parkinson's want to learn more about you, the foundation, and where they can go, uh, how might they be able to do that?
2: A great place to start and get a lot of information is from our website. That's michaeljfox.org. Um, for blogs and videos specifically from me about living with Parkinson's and how Parkinson's research can connect to your care, you can check out a specific series I have called Ask the MD.
1: Well, that's it for this week's SAScast. I hope it has helped you to appreciate Parkinson's disease and maybe inspire you to help those living with it. For Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. We want to thank everyone who has been listening. Your support is overwhelming and we are happy to produce episodes based on your ideas and suggestions. We want to show our gratitude by taking your questions and answering them on the show. Send me a tweet at JATetro or an email at thegermguy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, Don't forget to rate and review us. It helps to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen to us at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you've heard today and links to all of our guests. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Kelsey Campbell is our on-site audio producer and editing whiz. Dila Velasquez is our story producer. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week. And as always, make sure to show them some sass.